0: Chapter 2 of The Countess of Charny by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Gilbert's Candidate Dr. Gilbert had not seen the Queen for six months, since he had let her know that he was informed by Cargagliostro that she was deceiving him. He was therefore astonished to see the King's valet enter his room one morning. He thought the King was sick and had sent for him but the messenger reassured him. He was wanted in the palace, whither he hastened to go. He was profoundly attached to the king. He pitied Marie Antoinette more as a woman than a queen. It was profound pity, for she inspired neither love nor devotion. The lady waiting to greet Gilbert was the Princess Elizabeth. Neither king nor queen, after his showing them he saw they were playing him false, had dared to send directly to him they put Lady Elizabeth forward. Her first words proved to the doctor that he was not mistaken in his surmise. "'Doctor Gilbert,' said she, "'I do not know whether others have forgotten the tokens of interest you showed my brother on our return from Versailles, and those you showed my sister on our return from Varennes. But I remember.' "'Madame,' returned Gilbert, bowing, God, in His wisdom, hath decided that you should have all the merits, memory included, a scarce virtue in our days, and particularly so among royal personages! I hope you are not referring to my brother, who often speaks of you and praises your experience! As a medical adviser, remarked Gilbert, smiling yes but he thinks you can be a physician to the realm as well as to the ruler very kind of the king for which case is he calling me in at present it is not the king who calls you sir but i responded the lady blushing for her chaste heart knew not how to lie You your health worries me the least your pallor arises from fatigue and disquiet not from bad health you are right i am not trembling for myself but my brother who makes me fret so he does me madame oh our uneasiness does not probably spring from the same cause "'as I am concerned about his health. "'I do not mean that he is unwell, "'but he is downcast and disheartened. "'Some ten days ago— "'I am counting the days now— "'he ceased speaking, except to me, "'and in his favorite pastime of backgammon "'he only utters the necessary terms of the game.' "'It is eleven days since he went to the house to present his veto.' "'Why was he not mute that day instead of the next?' "'Is it your opinion that he should have sanctioned that impious decree?' demanded the princess quickly. "'My opinion is that to put the king in front of the priests in the coming tide, the rising storm, is to have priests and king broken by the same wave.' "'What would you do in my poor brother's place, doctor?' "'A party is growing, like those genii of the Arabian Nights, which becomes a hundred cubits high an hour after release from the imprisoning bottle.' "'You allude to the Jacobins?' Gilbert shook his head. "'No, I mean the Girondists, who wish for war, a national desire.' "'But war with whom? "'With the emperor, our brother, the king of Spain, our nephew. "'Our enemies, Dr. Gilbert, are at home and not outside of France, in proof of which—' "'She hesitated, but he besought her to speak. "'I really do not know that I can tell you, though it is the reason of my asking you here you may speak freely to one who is devoted and ready to give his life to the king. Do you believe there is any counterbane? she inquired. Universal? queried Gilbert, smiling. No, madame, each venomous substance has its antidote, though they are of little avail generally. What a pity. There are two kinds of poisons, mineral and vegetable. Of what sort would you speak? Doctor, I am going to tell you a great secret. One of our cooks, who left the royal kitchen to set up a bakery of his own, has returned to our service with the intention of murdering the king. This red-hot jacobin has been heard crying that france would be relieved if the king were put out of the way in general uh, men fit for such a crime do not go about bragging beforehand but i suppose you take precautions yes it is settled that the king shall live on roast meat with a trusty hand to supply the bread and wine as the king is fond of pastry Madame Campin orders what he likes, as though for herself. We are warned especially against powdered sugar. In which arsenic might be mixed unnoticed? Exactly. It was the Queen's habit to use it for her lemonade, but we have entirely given up the use of it. The King, the Queen, and I take meals together, ringing for what we want.' Madame Capon brings us what we like secretly and hides it under the table, we pretend to eat the usual things while the servants are in the room, this is how we live, sir, and yet the Queen and I tremble every instant lest the King should turn pale and cry out he was in pain!" "Let me say at once, Madame," returned the doctor, "that I do not believe in these threats of a poisoning. "'But in any event, I am under his majesty's orders. "'What does the king desire? "'That I should have lodgings in the palace? "'I will stay here in such a way as to be at hand until the fears are over.' "'Oh, my brother is not afraid,' the princess hastened to say. "'I did not mean that. "'Until your fears are over.' I have some practice in poisonings and their remedies. I am ready to baffle them in whatever shape they are presented. But allow me to say, madame, that all fears for the king might be removed if he were willing. Oh, what must be done for that? Intervened a voice not the Lady Elizabeth's, and which, by its emphatic and ringing tone, made Gilbert turn. It was the queen, and he bowed. Has the Queen doubted the sincerity of my offers? Oh, sir, so many heads and hearts have turned in this tempestuous wind that one knows not whom to trust, which is why your Majesty receives from the Foyance Club a premier shaped by the Baroness de Style. You know that? cried the royal lady, starting i know your majesty is pledged to take count louis de Narbonne, and of course you blame me no it is a trial like others when the king shall have tried all he may finish by the one with whom he should have commenced you know madame de Stael, what do you think of her "'Physically, she is not altogether attractive,' the Queen smiled. As a woman, she was not sorry to hear another woman decried, who just then was widely talked about. "'But her talent, her parts, her merits—' "'She is good and generous, madame. None of her enemies would remain so after a quarter of an hour's conversation.' i speak of her genius sir politics are not managed by the heart madame the heart spoils nothing not even in politics but let us not use the word genius rashly madame de stal has great and immense talent but it does not rise to genius she is as iron to the steel of her master rousseau as a politician she is given more heed than she deserves. Her drawing-room is the meeting-place of the English party. Coming of the middle class as she does, and that the money-worshipping middle class, she has the weakness of loving a lord. She admires the English from thinking that they are an aristocratic people. Being ignorant of the history of England and the mechanism of its government, she takes for the descendants of the Norman conquerors The Baroness created yesterday. With old material, other people make a new stock. With the new, England often makes the old. Do you see in this why Baroness de Steyl proposes the Narbonne to us? (laughs) This time, madame, two likings are combined. That for the aristocracy and the aristocrat. Do you imagine that she loves Louis de Narbonne on account of his descent? Louis de Narbonne was supposed to be an incestuous son of King Louis the Fifteenth. It is not on account of any ability, I reckon. But nobody is less well-born than Louis de Narbonne. His father is not even known. Only because... One dares not look at the sun, so you do not believe that de Narbonne is the outcome of the Swedish embassy, as the Jacobins assert, with Robespierre at the head. Yes, uh, only he comes from the wife's boudoir, not the Lord's study. to suppose Lord de Stal has a hand in it is to suppose that he is master in his own house goodness no this is not an ambassador's treachery but a loving woman's weakness nothing but love the great eternal magician could impel a woman to put the gigantic sword of the revolution in that frivolous rake's hand do you allude to the demagogue isnod kissed at the jacoban club alas madame I speak of the one suspended over your head. Therefore, it is your opinion that we are wrong to accept in our ball as Minister of War? You would do better to take at once his successor, Dumouriez. A soldier of fortune? (laughs) Ha! The worst word is spoken, and it is unfair anyway. Was not Dumouriez a private soldier? I am well aware that Dumouriez is not of that court nobility to which everything is sacrificed. Of the rustic nobility, unable to obtain a rank, he enlisted as a common soldier. At twenty years he fought five or six troopers, though hacked badly, and despite this proof of courage he languished in the ranks. He sharpened his wits by serving Louis the Fifteenth as spy. "'Why do you call that spying in him, which you rate diplomacy in others? I know that he carried on correspondence with the king without the knowledge of the ministers. But what noble of the court does not do the same?' "'But, doctor, this man whom you recommend is essentially a most immoral one.' exclaimed the queen, betraying her deep knowledge of politics by the details into which she went. "'He has no principles, no idea of honor. The Duke of Choiseul told me that he laid before him two plans about Corsica, one to set her free, the other to subdue her.' "'Quite true. But Choiseul failed to say that the former was preferred.' and that Dumouriez fought bravely for its success. "'The day when we accept him for minister, it will be equivalent to a declaration of war to all Europe.' "'Why, madame, this declaration is already made in all hearts,' retorted Gilbert. "'Do you know how many names are down in this district as volunteers to start for the campaign?' six hundred thousand in the jura the women have proposed all the men shall march as they with pikes will guard their homes you have spoken a word which makes me shudder pikes oh the pikes of eighty-nine i can ever see the heads of my life guardsmen carried on the pikes point nevertheless It was a woman, a mother, who suggested a national subscription to manufacture pikes. Was it also a woman who suggested your jacobins adopting the red cap of liberty, the color of blood? Your Majesty is in error on that point, said Gilbert, although he did not care to enlighten the Queen wholly on the ancient headgear a symbol was wanted of equality and as all frenchmen could not well dress alike a part of the dress was alone adopted the cap, such as the poor peasant wears the red color was preferred not as it happens to be that of blood but because gay bright and a favorite with the masses oh very fine doctor sneered the queen I do not despair of seeing such a partisan of novelties coming some day to feel the king's pulse with the red cap on your head and a pike in your hand. Seeing that she could not win with such a man, the queen retired half jesting, half bitter. Princess Elizabeth was about to do the same when Gilbert appealed to her. You love your brother, do you not? love the feeling is of adoration then you are ready to transmit good advice to him coming from a friend then speak speak when his feuillant ministry falls which will not take long let him take a ministry with all the members wearing this red cap though it so alarms the queen And profoundly bowing, he went out. End of chapter two recording by john Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.